Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're just joining us, we're, we're doing a fall series uh, looking at the different biblical statements that describe us, uh, that, that say you are. So just a sampling from the past several weeks, uh, we looked at how you are God's temple. We looked at how uh, you are not your own, that, that the Spirit dwells in us and, and our bodies are temples and tabernacles uh, for God. Uh, we looked last week at the fact that you are the body of Christ, that um, Jesus isn't just in us, we are in him, right? Uh, we're in Christ and we're connected to him as, and, and to one another through his body, and he's the head. Uh, this morning, we're at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and our title is, You Are Still in Your Sins. I hope that got your attention. All right, uh, so we're going to unpack that. Uh, that's, that's sort of Paul's if-then statement. Um, but it's important for us to understand you're either in Christ or you're in your sins. You're either in your sins or you're in Christ. That's really it. That, that, that's it. For the whole human race, you're either in Christ or you're still in your sins. So let's stand in honor of God's Word. I'm going to uh, start in verse 3 of chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 and then jump down to verse 12, okay? All right, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now jump down to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me pray for us. Uh, the stakes are high. Lord, we just acknowledge that uh, either this is true or, or, or we're just living a lie, uh, and this is ridiculous, even what we're doing right now. But we know that it's, that it's true, and we know it's not, and so we're grateful that you've called us out of the lie into the light of your truth, and we pray uh, even now that you would uh, for many of us, solidify the, the ground underneath us. Uh, show us the certainty of our hope. And then maybe for those here who aren't sure, maybe if they've never really settled on what the resurrection means, whether they believe it or not, we pray you grant them faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, so uh, yeah, the title for this sermon is a little bit of clickbait. I acknowledge that. I admit that. All right. But, but I do think it's important that we, we track with this. So jo jump back to verses 3 and 4. 
and you're going to see what Paul describes as of first importance. Uh, this, this is the main thing. You want to keep the main thing the main thing. And what he's saying is that the main thing is that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he goes on, we, we skip those verses about all the witnesses to the fact that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So, so Paul's explaining to these believers in Corinth uh, just how important, just how central these, these truths are, um, and that they're not something new. God didn't just sort of poof, you know, and, and there's the gospel, and it's appeared out of nowhere. Uh, this has been something that's been building and has been uh, the light of God's revelation has been growing. Uh, more light keeps getting shed on these truths as Scripture unfolds. So, for instance, um, the substitutionary death of Jesus for our sins is not something that Jesus announced and accomplished uh, as, as a new thing. Uh, the Scriptures have been foretelling it. Uh, all the prophets have been foretelling it. So let me just give you a sample out of Isaiah 53, that this Christ, the Messiah who was going to come, the suffering one, the Son, would come, and He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him all of our iniquity, right? So the prophet Isaiah is pointing to this one who's going to come and he's going to suffer on behalf of his people. Uh, he's going to you know, die on behalf of his sheep. The good shepherd would suffer for his sheep. So Jesus said, hey, here, this is Isaiah being fulfilled in his role as the, the shepherd who would die for his sheep. Um, Paul then says not only did Christ die for our sins according to the Scriptures, he also was, was buried and he rose according to the Scriptures. So, you know, that's nothing new either. God's people had been prepped. Uh, that pump had been primed. Jesus was explaining this. He was alluding to, to not just a section of one of the prophets, but one of the prophets, the whole book, his whole life was, was a foreshadowing of the resurrection. I'm talking about Jonah, right? So Jesus in Matthew 12 explained how just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man uh, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, you know, these are the central truths, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, foundational things. This is what our brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers have been expressing as the core of our faith for centuries, you know, and we do it frequently. We'll do it at the end of the sermon in the Apostles' Creed that we believe that he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. This is of first importance, right? So you get that. Paul's not mincing any words. Um, there was a uh, to, just to kind of lay the foundation for how important the, the resurrection is in addition to Jesus dying for our sins, being buried, and that he was raised again on the third day. There was a, a preacher in Los Angeles named E.V. Hill. Uh, he was the pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, phenomenal man of God, phenomenal preacher. 
And, uh, and I remember hearing this story. I think, Phil, you probably told this story about old 1800 or whatever. This old woman at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church would come in, you know, through the, through the doors in the back with her cane, and nobody knew how old she was. She was so old, people just thought she was born in 1800. They just called her old 1800. She was that old, older than dirt. And she would kind of just, you know, shuffle up to the front and sit in the front row every Sunday. Every Sunday, whether it was Evie Hill in the pulpit preaching that Sunday, or if it was the guest preacher, because Evie was, you know, traveling and doing his thing. Whoever it was, old 1800 would sit in the front row and it wouldn't be long most, most weeks. It wouldn't be long before she started kind of mumbling something under her breath, just sort of like, you know, barely audible. People around her could hear her saying something and, you know, they'd, they'd look and they'd turn if they weren't used to her. But if they knew, you know, oh, it's all 1800. And she's mumbling under her breath, get them up, get them up get them up, you know, and, and as the sermon would go, if the pastor, if the preacher wasn't talking about Jesus soon enough, she's mumbling under her breath, get them up, get them up, get them up, you know, because it's about Jesus. And I've been to churches like that where you, the whole sermon, you never hear about Jesus. I've, I, I, I'm not kidding. It's, it's sad. But old 1800 wasn't going to let that happen on her watch. She was there to remind every single pastor, every preacher, get them up. And not just, you know, not just get to Jesus because it's, it's not enough to just preach about Jesus because he taught us great things or, you know, modeled this super loving life or whatever. Really what she meant was get him up on the cross. Get him up, get him up. Because Paul said, you know, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Get up him up on the cross because that is the only hope for sinners, right? For us who were either in Christ or were in our sins. And so she would, you know, get a little louder and louder if the, if the sermon was going along and we're not hearing about Jesus, we're not hearing about his cross. Get him up, get him up, get him up. And finally, you know, once the preacher gets to the crucifixion and Jesus died for our sins and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the atonement and the substitutionary death of Jesus for us and our justification and all those things like great. But if the preacher didn't move on from that, if the preacher didn't move on from the cross, you know what she'd start saying? Don't leave him there. Don't leave him there. He's a, he's a living savior. He's alive. He's not dead. He's not, he didn't die on that cross and stay on the cross. He went into the, he was buried and he rose again. And that's what's so significant. That's what's so important. Why do we need the resurrection? Why are we having an Easter sermon on Halloween? I don't know. All right. So here's what we're talking about. In Romans chapter four, Paul says, it will be counted to us who believe in him. God is going to uh, credit to us the, the righteousness of God, this right status with God. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, listen to this, who was delivered up for our trespasses, there's the crucifixion, and raised for our justification. He was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification, meaning Jesus goes to the cross as our substitutionary sin bearer. When he died on the cross, he was taking our sins on himself. So you know, we use the word 
justification to describe what it means that somebody who's believed in Jesus gets their sins taken away. They are regarded as just, as uh, honorable, as righteous in God's sight because our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west based on what Jesus did on the cross. The person who believes in Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross for our sins is justified. That's our justification based on, on Christ's work on the cross. It's our, uh, our another fancy word, propitiation, uh, our expiation, all these fancy sound in church words. So here's what it means. You're right with God. The, the, the cross accomplished through, through faith in what Jesus did on the cross accomplished our our righteousness, our, our justification, our rightification, right? Our pardon, our pardonification, our, our cleanliness, our cleanlinessification, our, our, our holiness, our holification, like our glory in God's sight, our, our glorification, our beauty in God's sight, our beautification, like all of those things are ours because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now here's the question. How do you know it worked? That's what, that's what we claim. That's what Jesus said he was going to do. That's what Paul and the rest of the New Testament authors are all pointing back to. That's what you know, we say happened on the cross. That's what Jesus accomplished for us. Our justification, our glorification, our righteousness, all of these things are ours because of what Jesus, are putting our faith in what he did on the cross. But how do we know it worked? Well, think about it. How do we know that all of our sins were atoned for on the cross? The evidence is in the empty tomb. Well, it's not there because it's gone. The tomb's empty. The evidence is an empty tomb. The evidence is that death entered the world because of sin, right? Our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned and then they died. And that, the wages of sin is death. And so death is our sin debt. And we can't pay that debt, which is why death is so final. Which is why death is eternal. We can't pay it. We don't have the resources, but the resurrection means that Jesus paid the debt completely. No more debt means there's no more death. And that's why he rose from the dead because he paid completely our death debt. Does that make sense? If there's no more penalty to be paid, then there's no more punishment. There's no more sentence. Like, you know, somebody goes to jail for a certain amount of time based on what the judge said, your crime demands three years or whatever. Three years are up, you go free. You're not in jail anymore. Well, Jesus paid our sin debt, our death debt. And because it's paid in full, it's finished, what he said on the cross, then there's no more death. That's the proof it worked. There's an empty tomb. And beyond just how this benefits us individually, like it, it happens cosmically. God is, is making us new creations as the first fruits of an entirely new you know, heaven, a new earth, like we, all of the promises and all of the hope that we have for what's coming in eternity is coming out of that empty tomb. Um, Richard Lovelace puts it this way, thus when Jesus rose from the dead, a whole new world rose with him. 
And we know this is true because of the resurrection. We know that the cross worked because of the resurrection. The gospel is not a, a list of, of just propositions about what we believe, this, this thing about justification, or what we believe, this thing about the atonement or propitiation or any of these funny church words. The gospel is not a proposition, it's a person. And we're going to spend eternity with a person. The whole point of the gospel is to be reconciled to God, to be back in a relationship with the one who loved us and gave himself for us. The rest is just how do you get that restoration? How do you get that, re that relationship restored? So now Paul, you know, moves on and he says, okay, so those of you who are spreading this kind of craziness that the resurrection is, is not a thing or, or that it's not real or whatever, um, Paul walks them through, think about what you're saying. Starting in verse 12, right? And then he gets down to verse 14 and he says, look, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's in vain, your faith is in vain, we're even found to be misrepresenting God. Verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. There's our title. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And you know what? If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only and not in eternal life, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So let me just break these down and, and feel the weight of what's, what is a reality without the resurrection. Well, for starters, it means that everything that, you know, the, the Christian church believes that's been, you know, taught and preached is, is in vain. It's just empty. It's just words. It means nothing. And the, like we even are found to be misrepresenting God. So, you know, the gospel has always been this truth that Jesus, you know, he died, he rose again to accomplish God's purpose to reverse the curse. As far as the curse is found, you know, he's going to make all things new. He's going to bless his creation. And the resurrection is what reverses the entropy of sin and decay, and it's what enables us to put our hope in this day that's coming when there's going to be everything new, a new heaven and a new horizon, a new earth. Um, so if we are, if, if that's just empty preaching, if that's vanity, if that's a lie, and we're even making God out to be a liar because you know, we, we say this is God's word, right? These are God's words. And if they're not true, then, then this is a lie. So Paul's explaining the stakes are really high here. And in verse 17, he says that if Christ has not been raised, you know, your faith's futile. You're, 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 still, you're still in your sins. Think about that. Still in my sins. I can't get out of the sinful condition, that my, my sinful heart, my sinful attitude, the words, the actions, the deeds that are, that are just make me guilty and incur shame and put me at odds with you know, my, my friends and my family and my you know, people around me. The world itself is just in constant chaos and brokenness because of sin. And if Christ has not been raised, there's, there's no hope to get out of that condition. Not now and not in eternity. But, you know, 
what that means, I mean, somebody who would, who would say, well, there is no resurrection, there's no point in, you know, uh, having this kind of hope in eternity because we're, there is no spiritual reality, there is no eternity, uh, we're all just kind of on this little blue marble out in, you know, the cosmos, and, you know, when the sun burns up, that's it, that we're all, there's no history, there's no memory, this is just all there is. And if that's the case, then yeah, you're, you're still in your sins. And you know, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's just nothing in eternity. This is how high the stakes are. It means that there's nothing. There's no love you know, waiting in eternity for the unloved. If Christ has not been raised, then there's no justice waiting in eternity for the oppressed. If, if Christ has not been raised, then there's no embrace waiting in eternity for the excluded. There's, there's no vindication waiting for the victim. There's no family waiting for the orphan and the widow. There's, there's no restoration waiting for the ruin. There's no protection waiting for the, the persecuted. There's nothing if Christ has not been raised. That's heavy. And that's why Paul wraps up in verse 19 saying, look, if we in Christ have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. So there's some who say that there's, there's no spiritual you know, afterlife. We're all just you know, random accidents of chemicals and atoms and things. You know, um, and, and at the end, there's just darkness. It's funny that those are the same kinds of people who then would say, well, no, 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 no. Why would we pity you? You know, you, you've got your hope in Christ. That's good for you. God bless you and pat us on the head, you know. You've lived your best life now. Good for you. You know, there's this contemporary thinking that um, you don't pity anybody. Uh, it doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter, you know, how far-fetched or wild-eyed their hope may be. You, you validate that, you know. You, you applaud that. But what matters is do you believe it sincerely? That's, that's what the world measures, not the objectivity of the faith, but just the sincerity of it. So, you know, don't pity the person who sincerely believes that the earth is flat. <laughs> and, and don't pity the person who sincerely believes that the you know, lunar mission was a hoax. And, and don't pity the person who sincerely believes that the, the Holocaust didn't happen. No, you validate that. You validate the sincerity of their faith. Good, good for them. Rather, you know who you do, you know who you should pity? Pity the ignorant, backwards person who's so you know, wrong in their thinking that they won't validate the flat earther, you know, the, the, the moon hoaxer or the Holocaust denier. Pity that person who doesn't validate what somebody sincerely believes. That's how kind of messed up things have gotten. Paul has proved right, though, and we, we know it. He's saying how pitiful it is to believe a lie. It's wrong to believe a lie. It's pathetic to believe a lie, especially if you're going to suffer and die on behalf of that lie. Um, let me give you an example. So in your bulletins, there's this uh, insert for the gathering next Sunday. It's a prayer meeting uh, in our community on behalf of the persecuted church. There's going to be Zoom calls from uh, pastors and church leaders uh, in, in Afghanistan, and uh, I can't remember the two other countries, but 
like real-time interviews with people who are really suffering, truly. And a, a group that monitors persecution, uh, Christian persecution around the world is called Open Doors. And they have tracked just this year, I mean, 2021 isn't over yet, and, and in this year so far, uh, over 4,700 4, Christians have been, have been killed and martyred for their faith. And, and if Paul's saying, you know, if, if Christ has not been raised, then those people are more to be pitied. That is so pathetic. To die for a lie. Uh, to be you know, told a lie, to believe a lie, and then give your life for a lie. And then uh, in addition to those martyrs, there's over, uh, almost 4,500 churches and other Christian buildings with people in those buildings who've been attacked you know, and violence has been carried out all over the world just in the past 10 months. Um, a couple other figures to think about. Uh, 4,200 believers have been detained without trial. They've been arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned because, you know, according to Paul, like, look, look if Christ has not been raised, and that's, that's pathetic. That's terrible. They're believing a lie, and they're, and they're suffering for it. There's over 340 million, 340 million Christians living in places where they experience deep levels of persecution and discrimination. And Paul's saying, if, if that's on the basis of a lie, pity them. We all would pity them. How pitiful is it to suffer for something that's false? How pitiful is it to, to die as a martyr for a bunch of lies? How pitiful is it to put your hope in a crucified, cursed Messiah? How pitiful is it to, to swing out into eternity on a rope that's just going to break? We know that's pitiful. No matter how sincerely you believe it, some things are just not right to believe. And if Christ has not been raised, you should not believe this stuff. I should not be preaching this stuff. You should not be here. Look at verse 20. I didn't, inc I didn't include verse 20 in the text that was printed in your bulletin because I wanted to leave this with a little, I wanted us to feel the weight of what if he's not raised? Like we are so, we're so quick to rush to the resurrection. Yay, hallelujah, you know, he's risen. We don't stop and, and think about what is it like if I'm still in my sins? Or what, what, if, what if Christ has not been raised? We, we need to feel the weight of Paul's argument. But then he gets to verse 20 and he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, right? So Paul is saying, look, you don't have to worry about that. And he's correcting any kind of false teachers saying that Christ has not been raised because if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. Who would possibly want to stay in that condition, right? Who would possibly want to, to, to not be free from our sins if we, if we had that option, if we had that opportunity? What must we do in order to be saved from our sins? This is a perennial question, generational question. Every generation has been asking this question. 504 years ago, a uh, little, little country, little village you know, priest named Martin Luther was, was wrestling with this question. And the whole community was wrestling, the whole church was wrestling with this question. Like, how do we <clears throat> escape the penalty for our sins? And Martin Luther's watching, you know, these abuses in, in you know, at that point, the Catholic church. It was the only church because the Protestant church didn't exist. There weren't any Presbyterians or Methodists or Lutherans <laughs> until after Martin Luther. 
Um, I, got to, I, I got to go to Wittenberg. I got to go to Germany about three years ago. We went to Wittenberg, and it's not very big. And we went to the, the, the church there, uh, the castle church, where Martin Luther nailed those 95 statements, you know, and they were written in Latin, and they were supposed to just be like some things, hey, let's talk. Let's, let's talk about what's going on, where you've got people going throughout the Holy Roman Empire promising poor people, like people who don't even have, you know, two coins to rub together, that if they take that one coin and throw it in the box, that as soon as the, the coin, you know, in the kettle rings, a soul from purgatory springs. They had a little song. They were raising tons and tons of money to build St. Peter's back in Rome. And Martin Luther's going, this isn't right. That's not, that's not how we get out of our sins. Somebody wants to not be in their sins anymore. That's, we can't get out of our sins by, by charity, you know, by giving money. We can't get out of our sins by morality, by, by you know, being good people, doing good things. We, we can't get out of our sins by piety, you know, by going to good churches or doing good works. Like, that's the... That's the whole point is that we're in our sins and we can't get out of our sins by ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Martin Luther, you know, went to trial insisting that the only way that anybody can ever get out of their sins is to be in Christ. Either in your sins or you're in Christ. The only way that somebody is saved is by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, right? And he said, look, I, this, this is what I'm going to stand on. This, here I stand. I, I can't do anything else. And, and that was such a, a monumental thing. And, I had, and it was such a cool trip that I even bought the socks. Those people buy T-shirts. I got Wittenberg socks, and it's in German. And I think it says, here I stand. I can do no other. I don't know what it really says, but the guy at the shop told me, it's, yeah, you're good. So Martin Luther socks. They probably mean like, you know, I love Frankfurters. I don't know. Um, but Martin Luther is going to, to great pains and was suffering persecution himself. He was under a death sentence like countless other brothers and sisters who have gone before us and are even our contemporaries for insisting that the only way to not be in our sins is to be in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you're still in your sins. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. L listen to Romans, Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us. I'll say it again over the cough. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. The gospel of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection teaches us that we are saved because God loved us and we are saved when we were still in our sins. We don't have to get out of our sins, you know, in order for God now to save me. That's the whole point. He saves us because he loves us when we're still in our sins. That's the only way we can be saved. I can't get out of my sins by myself. My charity, my piety, my, 
you know, your, your good works, all of that, none of that works. You can't get out of your sins. The only way to be out of your sins is to be in Christ. Believe in Christ, trust in him, what he did on the cross to take our sins away, and his death and his resurrection proved that it would work. That's how it works. Remember old 1800? Telling those preachers who would come to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California, get them up, get them up. That wasn't just a word for, for you know, preachers who were you know, missing the mark. It's really a word for all of us. Get them up. Focus on Jesus. He's the object of our faith. He is our deliverer. He's our savior. Get him up. His cross is how you and I are out of our sins and believing in Jesus means that we're in Christ. We are in Christ. And don't leave him there. Don't leave Jesus on the cross. Don't leave him on the cross as some figurehead, this religious thing that other people think is good. You know, no, you need him in your heart. You need to be in Christ. He's in you. Your faith is in him. That's how we're out of our sins. Some of you, you've never done this. You've never really believed in him. You've never really made that switch from being in your sins to being in Christ. Do it today. For the rest of us, you're in Christ. Stay in Christ. Get him up. Don't leave him there. Walk with him. All right, we're going to close with the Apostles' Creed. You know, I, I want us to say this together. Let's stand. We're going to say the creed together. We're going to say what we believe. We're going to say that this is of first importance. And then I'm going to pray for us. So you either hatch your bulletin or I think it's on the wall behind me. But let's, let's confess what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord, indeed, we believe these things. We thank you that you've revealed them to us through the ministry of your Holy Spirit who has come to be in us so that we might be in Christ, so that we might be out of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for coming to us, for living, for dying, for being buried, for rising again, for ascending to the right hand of the Father, even now, our living Lord, our living Savior, reconciled to us. Thank you for uh, dwelling with us, for loving us, for being with us. Help us to be with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.